Eat, drink, chat with Soho House. Hello and welcome to Eat, Drink, Chat with Soho House. I'm Jonathan Heath, your host for this London instalment, where I'll be talking to an extraordinary lineup of guests who are at the forefront of film, music, art, fashion, and beyond. Join me as each episode I catch up with a different person over breakfast, coffee, lunch, cocktails, dinner and room service, all coming to you from Soho Houses around London. All the way up. Keep going. Here we go. All right. Here we are. Dean Street, Soho House. Coming for a touch of breakfast, which is much needed today, I must say. This morning, we are kicking off the day with BAFTA award-winning actor Kayvan Novak. From Phone Jacker to Four Lions, Kayvan is best known for his impeccable impressions and comedic roles. His most recent one as Nandor the Relentless in the FX TV series What We Do in the Shadows. Over breakfast, I spoke with him about life, laughs, and how many prank calls it takes to get yourself a TV show. Oh, look, here we are. A beautiful space right at the top. As you can tell, maybe the fitness needs a bit of work, but uh, this is the perfect place to... Recuperate, maybe. Here we are. Hello. Hello. Gavin, how are you doing? How are you doing? You all right? Yeah. Nice good to, to meet, meet you. you. Really Me good too. to meet you. You all right? Yeah, good, thanks. Let's take a seat. So, how's work? What are you, what are you up to at the Work's moment? Work's all right. Yeah, work's yeah? good. I seem to, uh, when I grow my hair long, I seem to be busy. When I cut it <laughs> short, um, no one wants to know. Is that uh, right? Yeah, so it's Samson back, effect. It's back to kind of like phone jacker length, yeah. which is nice. But yeah, I've been quite busy. I've been uh, doing what we do in the shadows yeah. for uh, FX in America based on a film that came out in 2014, mm. uh, written and directed by Jermaine Clement from Flight of the Concords and Taika Waititi, who's directed many excellent movies, including Thor Ragnarok. And uh, I'm going back to do the second season in October. I'm filming in Toronto, which is awesome. So it's a mockumentary. If that's... It's a mockumentary about three vampires that that's live it. together, four vampires and a familiar who's my slave, as it were, my, my, uh, my servant. And we're all hundreds of years old and we have this dysfunctional relationship. The other vampires are played by Matt Berry and Natasha Dimitriou and um, Mark Prosh plays the energy vampire, which is like a modern-day vampire who sucks your energy. So, <laughs> rather than your blood. Rather than your blood. Okay. Yeah. doesn't have fangs. He can go out in the day. He's a day walker. And Harvey Guillen plays my familiar, who desperately wants to be a vampire, but I never bite him because if I bite him, then he'll leave. Right. So there's a kind of uh, dysfunctional love story going on there. Tell me about your character. I play a character called Nandor the Relentless, and um, he's basically the head of the house. And uh, he is quite, uh, he was a warrior and a pillager, and, but he's quite neurotic and pedantic. <laughs> so, um, What's he pedantic about? Is it just OCD? house rules, OCD? yeah. Yeah, that you know, you've got to keep the house tidy. Um, he, you know, he worries a lot about, you know, the vampire's political situation. There's power grabs and power struggles going on all over the place. And, you know, he's got to balance his relationship with Guillermo, who's, you know, he can't be too mean to because then he'll leave, but he doesn't want to be too nice to him because then he'll think he's going to become a vampire like them. It'll never happen. Uh, we should probably order some breakfast before we go any further. Yeah, if, you yeah. to, if you want to. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you asked. What do you do for breakfast normally? Um... It kind of depends where I am. At home, I'm kind of 
I definitely go through phases. At the moment, I'm very much into my almond butter and Marmite. Nice. On, on, a, on a Warburton's bagel, but the, the thinner ones. Oh, yeah. Because they toast much quicker. Is that right? Yeah. Aha. Okay. Here oh, we hi. are. Hi. Can I chew anything to eat? Fantastic. Uh, yes. What are you going to have? I'm going to get a coffee. Coffee, yeah. What kind of coffee? I'll have a cappuccino. That'd be lovely. Thank you. Do you have filter coffee? Yes, we do. Oh, yeah. I'll have a filter coffee, sure. please. I'll have scrambled eggs, please. On toast, avocado, mm-hmm. and a sausage. Delicious. Yes. Actually, no, black pudding. Black pudding. Okay. I might go for and some Rennies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <good. laughs> okay. Can I please have some crispy bacon, um, some some beans, uh, uh, some fried tomatoes, mm. uh, and some toast, please? Was that the international uh, hand signal for toast? Well, me sort of doing Just like a, rubbing the that. top of piano keys. <laughs> or like giving a very small person a very lame massage. Uh, I'll have a sausage as well, please. Oh, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Um, in terms of your summer, have you been away? Yeah, oh, God, yeah. i just come back from Comic-Con, actually, in San Diego. How is Comic-Con as a... Because people always talk about the experience that it's kind yeah. of quite quite sort of overpowering in terms of the, it's the an, fandom that's there and it, the energy it's that's It's amazing there. Uh, to kind of see it from the inside out, to see what an incredible undertaking it is. And then to meet the fans and to feel the love. You know, it felt like Phone Jacket DVD signing in 2008, man, <laughs> HMV. <laughs> I told someone that they were like, no wonder HMV went tits up. I was like, fuck you. <laughs> fuck you, mate. Hey, I was just saying, you know, I mean, when I used to, be a bit younger and go out and party and be out till God knows whenever. Yeah. That period of like, so finishing or whatever bar we're at, then going back to someone's house, then someone always jumps on the laptop or whatever or to put music on. Mm. I went through a period of, it must have been a good year, where I would just go back to whoever's house, where we were doing, stop the music and put phone jacket on. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it was great. That's nice to hear. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it, it, was, it was pretty awesome. I, mean, I don't know why we didn't just do like, a family guy and do 15 seasons of it yeah. and retire. But, um, you know, it's a huge undertaking to to kind of create as many prank calls, you know, on that scale. Because, of course, you know, to do a prank call well, you, you've got to do it kind of 10, 15 times yeah. at least. And then the animation on top of that and stuff. But, you know, it is something I'd like to revisit. And is it? Okay, more. that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah. I was, you know, after doing two years of it, you're like, I never want to make another prank phone call again because it's, <laughs> Literally, it, it was a full-time job. But, you know, you, you're spending eight hours a day failing, basically. Right, and know? that's because you're just not getting the dialogue. You're, with, just, you're searching that. for that beautiful kind of synergy where you're on form with your character and the idea of the call, and you've, you've called the perfect person that's going to just take on board all the nonsense you're kind of spouting down the phone to them. And roll with it, kind of And rolling with it and yeah. just, you know... And just having a feeling of like that, that was really good. And then getting someone to call them back and say, look, that guy wasn't really a Ugandan <laughs> asking to pay 87,000 Uganda dollars, madame. <laughs> so, you know, it was, um, it was a magical time. Also, you know, calling a builder up as a mouse and going, hi, um, uh, I want some shoes. You know, and having like a builder going like, get a fucking proper job you can't. You know, and you're like, oh my God, what if the builder's right? <laughs> what am I doing? Like, this is madness. So you kind of have to go through so many mental barriers. It was like running a marathon every day, you know. But, yeah. But of course, the the gold you can get at the end of it, it was worth it. 
I guess going back to that, where did that come from? That idea? I know you were you were keen on doing voices and impressions as a as a kid, right? But when did that develop the into, pre- into an idea which could actually work as as phone jacker? Well, the, you know, my blessing was meeting Ed Tracy, mm. um, who wanted to be a filmmaker, and I wanted to be an actor, and we met at a party and. And then we started doing comedy stuff together and we weren't getting anywhere. And then I kind of, I'd made this prank call CD because I was just trying to get a voiceover agent because I love doing voices, right? But no voiceover agent in London would have me. Very close shop. So through the frustration of them saying no to me, I started calling them up as different people. And then I'd record the conversations on a mini disc and then send it to them and be like, oh, you know, that guy from Utah that you spoke to, that was me. Or uh, I called up one voiceover agent who ended up being my voiceover agent and pretended to be Alex from Big Brother. <laughs> so I was like, hi there, yeah, it's Alex. Yeah, I thought about getting a voiceover agent. So I was like, yeah, okay. They were like, oh, and they were all like, oh, Alex, yeah, we'd love to represent you. I was like, fucking hell. And then I did all the Kevin Spacey stuff where I called up the BBC is Kevin so that's, Spacey. That's true? That's, yeah, that's true. That's yeah, true story? Yeah, yeah. You, can hear the, you can hear the tapes. Great. And all that. So then, you know, I'd kind of, I cut my teeth pretending to be someone else on the phone for a long period of time. Yeah. 20, 30 minutes at a time. To get work, essentially. To yeah. get work, yeah. yeah. Basically just to impress a voiceover agent. Yeah. And then I had this CD and then I'd play this CD at like dinner parties and I'd give them to mates okay. and send them out, you know, send them to the BBC and they weren't interested. No, I was really interested. But then Ed heard it. And then Ed went off and he put a couple of the calls to these animations where he put stills on top of the, the, the audio and he had the, the mouths moving and he illustrated them with the, with the stills. And I was like, this is awesome. This is amazing. This could definitely be a show. So then wow. we started doing more calls and working on the animation kind of just around his late at night and just be there for hours kind of working together. And then nothing really came of it. And then... Sorry, this is going on. No, no, it's good. But you asked. So I'll tell you. Uh, you asked. So I'll tell you. All right. Beautiful. So anyway, there I was. Uh, long story short, we had these animated prank calls. We fell out. We weren't talking. Oh, why did you fall out? Just we'd had enough of each other and enough of kind of... Too not, much time not, spent not, not getting, getting anywhere. anywhere. Yeah, right. exactly. So then I was watching... Channel 4 one night, it was Comedy Lab, it was um, Modern Toss was on. And then at the end, it was like, um, Comedy Lab, think you're funny, send your stuff in Channel 4. Got in touch with Ed, I said, Ed, can you just put together everything we've done over the last two years and I'll send it in on a VHS and we wrote a cover letter and we sent it to Shane Allen, who was commissioning editor there. And um, about a month later, he got in touch and was like, you can come meet. And we were like, oh, wow, you know. And then he really zoned in on the prank calls. And then, so we just developed that idea. And he was like, can you go and film people live? So we went out with Ed. I got my mum's Jeep. And Ed sat in the boot with a camera. And we filmed people through the window. And I sat in the passenger seat calling up, winding hairdressers up on the telephone. He was filming them through the window. And then we went back. And then I was like, yes, he's a telephone terrorist. And he wears a balaclava. And he's a phone jacker. And then I went to Ed, I was like, dude, man, we've got to do this, like, photo, and we can make a poster for, like, Channel 4, before anything got commissioned. Mm. And I put this kind of balaclava over my head with one of those kind of red and white scarves. Mm. And he was like, oh, no, you need sunglasses. So then I put some sunglasses on, and then that was the first kind of image of phone jacket, you know, yeah, this yeah. kind of thing. We did the poster, don't pick up the phone, Channel 4 logo, you know, we sent it in, and we, we kind of, yeah, and then off we went. Amazing. 
Is this our breakfast? Wow, look at yes. this. Oh, wow. Look at that. There's many plates with sort of different various things on them. It looks really good. Thank you so much. Delicious, look at this. The butter has been whipped. Is that a problem? No, it's fantastic. <laughs> I mean, whipped butter. Look, all my individual plates. Maybe I... You <laughs> ordered so much. That. You're working. You're supposed to be working, man. You're sat here lording I didn't know what to do. I, I got flustered. Um, wow. Where should we go now? Let's go back to... So you went to Highgate. Yeah. Did you have a nice time there? No. It was all right. But I got expelled. Oh, dear. Cocaine like use fun. again. Yeah. C- early cocaine use, age no, 14. truancy and not really giving a fuck. Not feeling inspired. Right. Best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah? So, yeah. Changed the course of my life. Because you, you, then you went to drama school, is that right? Not yet. I went no. to sixth form college, um, fine arts college. And I actually ended up pranking my old art teacher in, in Face Jacker. It's <laughs> Brian Bedonde, yeah. And the, the Bart class with the Brick. Bick Cochran. Was that a sweet revenge? Or was it a sort of, um, I mean, was it done with affection? Yeah, no, all the, they were all done with affection, I'd say. <laughs> uh, it was very funny. So why, so you, I mean, I, I can imagine, you know, being expelled from school was, I could be, even back then I would be somewhat worried about that. Were you, were you? No, I was relieved. Were you? Yeah, because I've been given warnings before and um, I think they expelled me really because my A-level predictions weren't very good. Right. And um, they didn't want you dragging the school. Down. It was all about league tables. Right. But also, I think it was just about them wanting me gone, really. Wow. I mean, you know, the, the Highgate boys were very, very conscientious. They always wanted to be top of the class. I was just really into English and art, you know. Yeah. And I was naturally good at maths up to a point, but I never really wanted to do it for A levels. Right. My dad made me do it. Um, and then I went to. Fine arts and did English art and um, maths. Yeah, I, I got an N in maths. Oh. Which is as bad as you can do, really. Yeah. But uh, then I, I met some people who knew people who went to drama school, Weber Douglas. And I was like, oh, wow, you know, this is, yeah, let's go visit him in drama school. And we went down there and I was like, oh, wow, this is an option. So then I went, I did this summer school, still misbehaved and was truant and late and just a fuck up. So I nearly messed that up, didn't right, get in. Right. And then I re-auditioned, I did get in. Was there a moment when you thought, okay, I actually quite like this now. It's not like I'm at school and I don't want to engage and I don't like these subjects. I actually sort of have found something which maybe I like and I'm quite good yeah. at. Maybe I should actually yeah. sort of sort myself out a bit. It's nice to find something that you're good at because you kind of, it feels like you have to put less effort into it, mm. you know? Um, but that only gets you so far. Mm. And I just got to act and do funny voices and perform and do yoga three times a week. And, you know, it was nice. I mean, it was drama school, you know. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, I, things have, you know, I've enjoyed a good career because I'm lucky. Right. And also, I think, you know, my casting when I came out of drama school was terrorists, doctors, pimps. Um, another terrorist uh and that kind of took me on a certain path yeah but that was a path i was like this is just getting very repetitive it's Mm. like you know i thought i've got something else to offer but as an actor in this industry i think this is kind of all i'm gonna be good for really typecast yeah typecast it was good up to a point because you're like wow you know i'm able to excel 
and be the best baddie that they've seen. Right. And that's great. But, yeah, I hit a wall. I was like, mm, okay, I've done Syriana with George Clooney. I've, well, I've done the first three scenes of it and he's blown me up. Um, <laughs> Still, hey. You know, I've done all these little kind of ITV dramas and stuff. But now suddenly I'm doing like a character on CBBC mm. a year later. And I'm like, wait a minute, you know, which way is this going? So it was really out of that that made me go, right, I need a plan B here. I need to do, you know, got to get into voiceovers because I'm going mad waiting for my agent to call me. Actually, I was kind of interested in, in voice uh, actors. When you're creating a character on Phone Jacker, does a voice come first or do you have an image in mm. your mind? Is there a visual image? It depends. Some of the characters will be inspired by who I'm calling. So Terry Tibbs would be one of those. The first person I called was someone who's selling an Aston Martin. So I kind of called him up as a kind of guard, do that. You know, it wasn't Terry Tibbs yet. It didn't have a name. Right. But it was just to kind of get a sense of, oh, yeah, this feels good being this character, and this is the kind of thing that he'd do. Okay. You know, before you kind of go and be like, you know, wooden ladders, talk to me, you know. You're sticking with kind of within his world of cars. So that was really what started that. I guess internet service providings was just because I'd had calls from, you know I'm calling from internet service providing, uh, providing the provider. Um, but, you know, there's a whole other debate about whether Phonejacker could be considered racist. But, you know, for me, born in London, it's a multicultural city. I'm a mimic. I'm going to play lots of different characters. Why people in the rest of England, might enjoy those characters. You could say they're enjoying them for the wrong reasons. Right. But if they're laughing, then they're laughing. I mean, you know, our culture in this country is very much about, oh, you're different, I'm going to take the piss out of you. Mm. You know, but also we're seeing that that kind of singling people out for certain things, whether it be where they're from, disability, gender, all these things, mm. you know, you can't do that. For a good reason. Mm. And actually, I've become less piss-takey the older I've got because actually I feel that I have kind of got more of a social conscience mm. as far as, as a comedian, you make fun, you mimic, you do what you think is funny. But I guess, you know, you look at my stuff and you're like, none of it's mean-spirited. No. You know? If it had been three white guys doing Fun Jacker, mm. I think that might have been different. I think the fact that I'm Iranian has saved me right. because that's a can of worms they don't want to open <laughs> because they don't know how to fucking deal with it. <laughs> because if they want to get on their high horse and be like, oh, this is racist, this gentleman is racist, this is Indian voice. You know, the same people that be laughing at it. But also they're like trying to figure out, well, okay, oh, he's, oh, second generation, oh, he's got a free pass. You kind of do. And, you know, I've, I've exploited that and, you know, I've been allowed to take that as far as it will go. Yeah. You know, I look at Facejacker, um, where I dressed up as many ethnic minorities. Yeah. Uh, you know, Terry Tibbs is white. Uh, Augustus Quembe is black, you know. You could say that's blacking up. For me, it's another disguise. Yeah. You know, going out and doing a prank. And I think, would I do that now? No. Right. Um, I think that's what it was, you can either enjoy it and understand me mm. and my kind of humour and that. It was never about that. Mm. It's never about kind of replacing anyone else or trying to hop back to, 
you know, the dark history that that has, it was just another disguise for me. Mm. Yeah, I cancelled my sausage order, but they brought it anyway. Well, I we 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 did I, you order sausage I ordered as sausage well? So we can, you know, one I'm each. Eating your one sausage. each. No, I, I don't need two sausages. No man needs two sausages. These are excellent sausages. They look very good. They're very sagey. Mm. I was having a deep and meaningful conversation about the state of comedy today. Well, you're working again with Chris Morris, is that right? Yeah. Well, I work with him. Yeah. Now the film's coming out. So the day shall come. That's great. I'm very excited about it. That sounds really exciting. How, I mean, he's always fascinated me as someone that's doing intelligent, provocative kind of stuff that's really on the nose. Very Um, well researched. Yeah. What's he like to work with as a as, as one of those kind of co-creators of, of the kind of stuff you like to do? Is well, it... he's, you know, I can call him a friend now. Mm. He's just one of those incredibly inspirational people that, you know, you may or may not have the pleasure of meeting in your life. Someone who is not reactionary, who is very analytical, mm. who is deeply kind and generous and thoughtful and just a big kid as well. Really? Just everything about him, man. I'm just like... You know, the fact that I'm in two Chris Morris films in one lifetime, is, it's awesome. Yeah. You know, he manages to, I guess, keep himself to himself in that, in that really sort of yeah, fantastic man. way, you know. He I, doesn't do photo shoots. Yeah. He's just interested in his, his next project, you know. He's, mm. He spent seven years making this, so. Can you tell me a bit about The Day Shall Come? Yeah. It stars Anna Kendrick, Dennis O'Hare, newcomer Marshall Davis, mm. and a host of others. Basically, it's about FBI operatives infiltrating with the help of undercover assailants, small kind of religious groups in Florida, Miami, encouraging them to do terrorist acts or say they're going to do terrorist acts, but for money. Right. And then swooping and arresting them, them, (laughs) saying, well, we just averted a terrorist attack, even though they were the ones encouraging them, even though they weren't interested in doing that. They kind of wave enough cash under their noses just to have enough of a vested interest where they have a conversation, praise Osama bin Laden, and then they're off. (laughs) And then it goes as a tick for Homeland Security. And what's the, you know, I always feel that there's a kind of political undercurrent to what... Oh, yeah, I mean, it's all inspired. I mean, the beginning of the movie is inspired by 100 true stories. So, again, the Morris has gone out there and met the real people, talked to people that used to work... I think, for the ATF and stuff. And just, yeah, gone away. And with Jesse Armstrong, uh, written another beautiful movie. I mean, the the dialogue, I've watched it three times, and the dialogue is just like, it's amazing, man. It's like Shakespeare. Mm. Not that I like Shakespeare, but it's better than that. Wow. So that's out soon? September, October. Great. I play uh, an Iranian pedophile. (laughs) God. (laughs) Shopkeeper. (laughs) He likes underage girls, basically. <laughs> Blimey. Yeah. But I'd only do it for Chris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll play anything for him. Everyone else, what are you doing stereotyping this? No, I will not do this. Fuck you. Then Chris is like, <laughs> yeah. Could you, uh, yeah. Uh, he's a, uh, yeah. He likes 13-year-old girls. And he wears big shorts and shitty shirts. Up for it? Yeah. Dominican Republic. Two months. I'm there, mate. I'm a soldier. Very good. I do feel like Chris is like soldier. Well, it's going to be. I won't do anything for him. He's a general. Well, great, great company to keep. You know, 
Um, so what else what are you doing today? Where you go from here? We've had our lovely breakfast. It's oh, it was lovely. been delicious. It's been fantastic. You've demolished the eggs. I've played around with my food basically. Not really. It. I've been too busy. Good chatting. sausage though, right? Very good. Very like proper like. Very very good. Exactly how you want a sausage to yeah. taste. I don't like it when they don't cook them enough and they're too. They've got that nice snap on the outside. It's delicious. Delicious. Very cool. So I'm gonna go off and do some writing. Where do you write? Is it? Do you have a? Is it a, your office at home? Is it a hub? At the bottom of the garden. Like yeah. Doll. Um, no. Anywhere. Really? I used to think I could only write if I had headphones and I was listening to music. Mm. But uh, no, I'll go anywhere and do it. And do you write, are you good in the mornings? Are you good in the evening? If you're on deadline, is it, do you have someone that works I've for... never had a deadline in my life. <laughs> I'm not that kind of writer. I basically write because I feel that if I don't, then I'm wasting my life and I'm not working towards the next failure. <laughs> I mean, I've done, I must have done six or seven pilots yeah. that haven't been commissioned. Mm. I'd love to be a quitter. Yeah. Because it just, I'm just like, fuck this. Just throw the towel. <laughs> fuck it. And it's so satisfying. <laughs> fuck this then. I oh, will fuck it then. <laughs> That's very satisfying to say, you know. But then I can't. I never convince myself. No. So you go through, for me anyway, you decide that something is a good idea. You then try and put that idea down and it all falls apart in front of you. But then you kind of gather all the pieces up and you stick with it. And slowly and surely, you start building this thing, this idea. And then you get other people in on it, and it starts gaining a bit of momentum. Then you shit yourself, and you're like, I'm a scamster. I basically convince all these people that this is a good idea. It's a terrible idea. <laughs> you get money. You make it. It's there. You're riddled with guilt that this has been a terrible waste of everyone's time, including your own. But you're still obsessed and convinced that there will be a great idea. You make it. And then you either get given the opportunity to make it better or people just run in different, just in all different directions. And basically, I feel like that is a shame because the first idea is realized, you know, that there's more work that needs to be done. There's no like definitive version of, of a good idea. Got it. Even if you go and make it and you get actors in and you edit it and you spend hours and weeks getting it just perfect, mm. you can always better it. Mm. But... For me, I've found that people don't want to stick around for the next phase. Right. They just want to pass judgment and move on to something else. Mm. So then you kind of, you feel resentment. You feel like a failure. You feel like you can't trust yourself. Mm. Like your instincts are shot. Right. I would say, you know, if you are a creative person, find a collaborator. Find yeah. someone to work with um, because it will always be better. Mm. But yeah, if you're a creative person, then all you've got to do is breathe and then all the other shit that's been you've been absorbing without realizing suddenly it just comes to the front and you're like, yes, next light bulb, you know. So I've been saved in that way. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the, the agony of it and the ecstasy of it. You're never going to quite accomplish the pinnacle of whatever it is you're trying to achieve. Yeah, and I think also that I don't know what I'm good at. Right. I don't know what I do for a living. <laughs> that's not, I mean, that's... It, it's a weird one. Yeah. For me anyway. Yeah. Okay, Van, look, it's been an absolute joy oh, dude, to chat awesome. with you. I've been very Thanks for lovely. having me. No, it's been really good. Great breakfast. Thank you so much. Wonderful house, as breakfast. always. Yeah. Thank you. Fantastic. Dude, it's great Thanks, to meet man. you, man. Good to chat. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank yeah. you. This episode of Eat, Drink, Chat was brought to you by Soho House and Radio Wolfgang. It was hosted by me, Jonathan Heath, and featured Kayvan Novak. It was produced by Natalia Rodriguez and Eli Block, with casting by Joe Dunk, and the executive producer was Harry Watson. 